So now we've been in this study of the book of Philippians now for uh, not quite a year. We've entitled it Gospel Impact. You know, so often when we think of gospel impact, though, what we think of is we think of what the gospel does in our life immediately at salvation. That we, you know, we're changed, our sins are forgiven, we're made a child of God, and, and certainly that's a powerful impact. But what we sometimes fail to understand is that as we grow in grace, we grow in our knowledge of God, we grow in what the gospel really is and all that God wants to do, that this process of sanctification that we talked about last week continues on and is continuing to make us more like Jesus. And of course, as we've we looked here, if you actually go back to chapter 1, verse 27, it kind of begins this whole section we're in today. It says, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. The literal translation is, live as a citizen of. And Paul's point is, you live here in this world, but really you're a citizen of heaven. Live as a citizen of heaven. So how do we do that? Well, he's told us here early in chapter 2, you got to live in unity with one another. Why? Because our God is a perfect tri-unity. And so just as he exists in perfect harmony with himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's okay. I make lots of people cry. It's, it's, not, it's not a problem, really. Just as he exists in a perfect unity, you and I ought to live together in unity. How do you do that? That's the next point. Well, you live in humility towards each other. You prefer one another. You put other people's needs ahead of your own. And then, of course, he, he rides there in, in verse 5 into that beautiful example of Jesus. Who Jesus, who was God, came. He humbled himself. He died for us. He paid the penalty for us. And now... God has exalted him. And last week we looked at verses 12 and 13. He says, so then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not only my presence, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And his whole point is now, as we understand how Christ has modeled that humility, you and I have the responsibility to live our citizenship out here, to live like Jesus here. Work out your salvation. Salvation there, he's not talking about justification. Justification, the fact that we're forgiven, our sins have been washed away, that we've been made a child of God, we can't do. We can't make that happen. So that's why Jesus came. That's justification. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking sanctification. How do you live it out? How do you live like Jesus here? How do you live your heavenly citizenship here? And he gives one key word, which is obey. And we talked last week that, you know, that's really kind of the 30,000 foot. Obey. Do what Jesus told us to do. Now he dives into the weeds. And the first thing, and oh, this is going to get really personal, folk. This is what he says, verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. 
so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God, above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. So his point here is, okay, you want to know how to work out your salvation? You want to know how to live here as a citizen of heaven? Number one, do all things without a complaining spirit. Do all things without grumbling. The word grumbling there is kind of interesting. Uh, And folks, this is going to be hard on us. It was hard on me all week without muttering. And then the next word, the disputing, is actually, in essence, the same thing, but just the opposite. That's the arguing. It's the questioning. It's it's being very vocal about it. On the one side, there's just a subtle, you just let people know you're not happy, something isn't right. On the other hand, it's those who kind of get it all out there. And, and, and so let me ask you, how many people, how many of you today have got somebody in your life who's a grumbler, a complainer, a disputer? Maybe it's somebody you work with, maybe it's somebody you live with. But let me see, how many of you, raise your hand, right? Okay, boatloads of us, all right? Now, here's the question. How many of us are that guy or that gal, all right? Okay, not as many hands. And that's the thing. You know, you see, we don't see ourselves that way. We see it in others because they're just so negative. They're down on everything. But we don't see ourselves because when we grumble and complain, yeah, we have reason, right? We've got a good cause, now again, folks, you've you got to understand, you walk in here, you process this with me for a half hour, so often, you know, Lord works. But, but man, in my heart, man, I've had to study this all week. I've got to preach this thing four times. <laughs> it, man, it's been a hard week for me. Because I would have gone in thinking I'm not much of a grumbler or complainer. And I think I am. In fact, this morning... This morning, I, gotta, I get up before everybody in my house uh, on Sunday mornings, and, uh, and I have a specific, I don't typically eat breakfast, but on Sunday mornings I do. I do oatmeal and I do bacon. I I'm, have a lot of routines. That's one of them. And uh, so I went, I grabbed the oatmeal, I started that, I went to go grab the bacon. Now, just backstory, yesterday at lunch, we're not going to mention names because they may possibly be in this service. Uh, do you want to know who come next service? Because uh, she won't be here. And, uh, <laughs> but yesterday at lunch, we actually had bacon and eggs, right? And uh, so, and it was really good. It was, it was fine. So I go, and would you believe it? I go to grab for the bacon, and there's no bacon in the fridge. Now, I know there's bacon in the house because I have it every Sunday, so we pick up the big 18-pound things at Costco, right? You know, so I, it's in the freezer. And, and, it's, and so it's funny, I look, and, and I, I find myself, as I'm walking towards the freezer, just kind of muttering of, you know, we know there's bacon. You got to put it out, whatever. And, and, and it's like the Holy Spirit. So I, I go through all this and, of course, put it in the microwave, defrost. It took me like a whole four minutes more now to just defrost it before I could actually start. And, but, but the Holy Spirit said, okay, now what are you preaching on this morning? <laughs> Complaining. 
And this is what he's trying to say, is do life without a complaining spirit. Now, he's not talking about legitimate questions. and he, What he's talking about here is tone. He's talking here about perspective, of just being negative in all, all that we do. And you know, you think about our culture. Our culture is a culture of complaint. Our culture is a culture of, of criticism. And if you don't believe that, go on social media. And, and that's where it is. But you and I are citizens of heaven, not citizens of this world. We ought to live differently. Do you remember that... Uh, that movie, what was it? A League of Their Own, the women baseball players, right? And there's one line, everybody knows it. Even I've never seen the movie, actually, and I know the line. The line is, there is no crying in baseball. Can I give you a new line? There's no complaining in heaven. There isn't. Now, you're sitting there and you go, well, Steve, there's no complaining in heaven because everything is good. And I want to go, have you met some of the people I know? They can find the dark cloud in every silver lining, right? They, they can find it. It's just, it's just that's their nature. But the whole point is when we get to heaven and not complain, not just because everything's good, but because at that point we will be living our heavenly culture. And that's how we're supposed to live here. We are supposed to live without a complaining spirit. And what's interesting in this passage, he actually makes a, a tie back to the children of Israel. And you say, well, Steve, how do you know that? Well, the word grumbling he uses here, he only, Paul only uses it one other time. And it's used in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10. And if you ever look it up, what you'll see is he's actually telling a story about the Israelites. Also, when he uses the phrase crooked and perverse world nation type thing, that's almost a direct quote out of Deuteronomy 32. So let me give you the background of that. The children of Israel were blessed of God, eh? God brought them out of Egypt with all the plagues. He took them through the Red Sea. God, they'd known salvation. They were now free. And what did they do? They complained. We don't have any water. So God brings water from Iraq. That was good for about a week. And then they're complaining. We don't have any food. You brought us out here to starve to death. Oh, we just stayed in Egypt. So God, Moses prayed, and now there's manna. That worked for about a month, a month and a half. We're tired of the manna. Oh, we're going to die. This manna, we're going to gag on this manna. All we have is manna. We want the meat. God sends the quail. What do they do? They complain. They go, God takes them to the promised land. The, the spies come in. Oh, they're too big. We're going to just go in there and die. And most so, or, or Paul's point here is don't be those people. Blessed of God. Seated in heavenly places. Blessed with every spiritual blessing. But they complained. They groaned. They mumbled. They and, and notice they complained at Moses, but God saw their complaints as being against him. Don't be those people. We are citizens of heaven. Do all things. Now the question, of course, as you're studying the text, is all things. Does that mean like all things within the church? 
because obviously we know that sometimes there's grumbling within the church. Oh my, can't believe we said that out loud, right? Or is it about just doing life? And the answer is yes. It's really about both. The context certainly implies the things within the church. He's talked about unity. He's talked about humility. He's talked about all that. But notice he's all going to say, this is how you prove yourself to be a child of God. This is how you shine as a light to those that are without. The answer is yes. All things. So as you do home, as you do marriage, as you do work, as you do neighboring, do it all without complaining, because that is what is consistent with the gospel. That's what it looks like to live as a citizen of heaven. Get to the next verse there, verse 15, and he says this, and so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. The idea here is, is that when we live without complaint, it's one of those ways that we work out our salvation. You think about it. I was thinking about this this morning. You know, today as we travel, we have people here from all parts of the world, right? And sometimes you can tell because there's a certain dress piece that they have. Maybe it's, it's something they wear on their head or the type of clothing. And we'll go, oh, there's a person that's from the Middle East. Or there's a person that's from Africa, right? It's, it's kind of a tell of where they're from. Well, the tell that you and I are citizens of heaven ought to be that we do life without complaining. That we do life without grumbling. That we do life without, without arguing and just continually questioning. There's something different about our spirit. Say, hey, they're not from here. They're from someplace else. And then he lists these three things that should characterize us as the children of God. And I don't want to bore you with the Greek, but they, in the Greek, they all start with the letter A, which is kind of the not with this or without this. Uh, the words there in, in verse 15 is, so that you prove yourself blameless. The idea is without blame. Uh, to put it this way, is deserving no censure. You a lot of talk about censure in politics right now. You know, we should censor him for doing this and that. That your life's lived in a way that they could never bring censure against you. The second word that he uses is flaw. It's in, in, uh, translated in the New American here as innocent. But really the idea is without flaw, that it's unmixed that is pure you know that we are people of goodness that we are per people of mercy that we are people of grace not mixed with complaint the third word that he uses is blemish not that we're perfect but it would be very very hard for someone to make an argument against us that we are people who are complainers now, what's fascinating when you look at this, these three words, without blemish, with, without fault or innocent, that, that we are uh, without blame, or, aren't they all words that are used of, again, Old Testament, the sacrificial animals that had to be brought, right? Spotless, without blemish. Aren't they all words that are used also to describe Jesus? Of who he is 
they ought to be words that describe us. Why? Because we are citizens of heaven. And that's the whole point that he's being here, making here, is that we've got to live differently. We are living today in a foreign culture. So he pulls this from Deuteronomy, but he says, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Now, let me ask you, isn't it fascinating that Paul 2,000 years ago knew what kind of world you and I were going to live in in America in 2019? Because doesn't crooked and perverse work? And isn't it amazing that it actually as those believers in Nicaragua read it that Paul even knew what kind of culture they were going to live in in Nicaragua in 2019 and Martin Luther was going to live in back in the mid-centuries and the, the same culture as the Philippians lived in. Why? Because you've got to understand our culture, wherever it is, is like that because our culture is not built on a heavenly culture. It's not built on a heavenly king. Jesus is Lord and one day all knee will bow, but that hasn't happened yet. Today, the ruler of this world is not Jesus. The ruler is the enemy. Do you know that Jesus told us that three times? The Satan is the ruler of this world. Paul put it like this in Ephesians. For our struggles, not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in high places. Our world, that's, that's our world. That's the darkness that is there. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, he puts it like this. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so they won't see the light. Folks, you've got to understand this world is not our home. For those of us who have come to faith in Jesus, we have been made citizens of heaven. That is our home. We live in a foreign culture here. A culture that wants to, to destroy, a culture that wants to steal, a culture that is against Christ and against his followers. That's where we live. And so in that, what we are called to do is we are called to live differently. Not join in with all the complaining, not join in with the murmuring, the grumbling, the, the argumentative piece. And can I remind us that in America, we're actually heading into an even worse season of this because we're heading into a political season. Now, it seems like everything is political now, but literally one year from like right now, we are rolling into the next election for president. And our country is such that today, if you support this guy and you're part of him, then all these people over here are bad and terrible. And if you support this person over here, all these people over here are bad or terrible. Sad thing is, is that within our church, we have, we have folks that, that are on both sides. And instead of doing it with love and doing it without complaint, man, we, we complain, we argue, we murmur, we put it out there. And folk, Paul says, do all things. It's not just home and work and church, it's, it's politics too. Do it all 
without grumbling. Do it all without complaining. Do it all without disputing. You say, but Steve, we live in America. Wade and I were having this discussion because what a lot of people, you know, Americans come down on teams, what they don't understand there is they don't have freedom of speech there. It's, a, it's literally, it's a socialistic dictatorship. They don't get it because we're so used to our freedoms. And you say, well, Steve, but we're in America. We have a voice. Yes, we do. And I encourage every believer to vote, every believer to get involved, find those kids. I would encourage you to run. Man, wouldn't it be great if we had Christians that would get up and would kind of stand for the values that we believe and run? And that, that's a great piece, but we've got to do this thing without complaining, without grumbling. And I know this week, I, you know, that headline that came out of Texas of that little little boy uh, whose father was fighting against him moving into being transgendered and, and all of the things because you know and, and the judge ruling against it ruling against the dad it was just it's heartbreaking it's, it's easy to complain it's easy to, to just get so worked up and yet we gotta understand that we live in a culture that is different than who we are because we're citizens of heaven and so we sit here and we shine the light by living without complaint we live without grumbling we live without without arguing we live here as shining lights that's what we are called to do we were made to be ambassadors right we're ambassadors of christ we are here in a place that doesn't belong to us in a culture in a world that doesn't belong to us and we are here and we're supposed to live differently we're representing him and so we shine forth as light in this really dark world that's around us. And I tell you, the, the picture of light and dark is one of those beautiful metaphors that the Bible uses. It talks about the world being in spiritual darkness. Uh, Paul puts it so good in how we got there in, in Romans chapter 1. He says, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculation. Their foolish hearts were darkened. I mean, you can take that back to the Garden of Eden. That's where it started. They didn't honor God as God, so they disobeyed. And now they were pushed into darkness. And our world is in darkness, and it just continues to grow. And when you think of darkness, what you think is lostness. You think of lack of reality. You know, if I were to have them turn out the lights in here right now, or if the power went out, we had to get out of here. Truth is, because it would be dark and we couldn't see really good, most of us would trip over something. We would think it's clear to walk, but something's really there. Our sense of reality is altered by darkness. But what's really there? But the beauty is, is that Jesus came, right? And Jesus is the light of the world. Think of John 1. Remember how he even introduces Jesus. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines forth in the darkness, but the darkness didn't comprehend it. Jesus came as the light of the world. He brought truth. He brought reality. That's why Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness. 
And so Jesus came to bring life. He came to bring a a relationship with God. And when we meet him, all of a sudden we begin to see truth and what really matters and what reality really is. And now you and I have the responsibility to reflect that light, to be ambassadors for Christ, to live on mission. That's why we're here. We are here to take the light. And and the question really becomes, if you and I don't live differently, if we don't live our citizenship of heaven, if we don't live Jesus, if we don't live a different way, if we don't live at a higher calling, if we don't live with a different purpose, then who will? It's on us. It's what we're called to do. In fact, it's interesting the way the New American Standard says, among whom you appear as lights in the world. I love the way the NIV puts it. It puts it like this. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. You see, it's the blackness of the night that allows the stars to shine the brightest because they're different. They're light. And that's what we're called to do. You remember what Paul told the Ephesian believers? He says, for you were formerly in darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. It's the same thing that Jesus told us on the Sermon on the, on the Mount. He said, listen, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's what we're called to do. So I got two questions for you today as I finish. One is this. Have you come to that place of being born into the family of God? Becoming a citizen of heaven? It's not by our works. It's not by what we do, but it's by grace. And the great thing is, if you haven't, man, you can do it today, right where you are. Jesus died for you. He paid the price. If you will invite him into your life to be your savior, he'll give you eternal life. Then the second question, because I know many of us, probably most of us that are here, we've made that decision, is are we living in a way that we're shining forth his grace? Are we shining forth the culture of heaven? Because here's somebody who doesn't complain. Here's somebody who doesn't grumble. Here's somebody who's not argumentative. That's what we're called to do.